Well, I'd like to share with you some facts before we begin today's interview. Since 2000, blackouts on the U.S. grid have jumped 13-fold, and I don't need to tell you what's happened to your electricity costs. They probably doubled or tripled in the last couple of decades. In fact, recently, Meredith Agwin calls the fatal trifecta, which is over-reliance on weather-dependent renewables, over-reliance on just-in-time natural gas fire generation, and over-reliance on imported electricity. If you've been following the weather, we've got a Pineapple Express going through California, but you've seen the Teslas that weren't working with the winter storms. What are we doing? We're weak the grid and there are some consequences if we don't start turning this around and thinking differently on how to solve it. And that's the subject of today's interview. Joining me on the program is Robert Bryce. He's a prolific author and a documentary film producer. And his film series is called Juice, Power, Politics, and the Grit. He's produced five documentary films, including his new one, Industrial Cathedrals. You know, Robert, before we begin, you start out as a journalist, but you've become this expert on electricity. What got you into this specifically? Because you're really focused on this today with some really great stuff that is talking about this danger we face. Sure. Well, thanks, Jim. And always a pleasure to be back on your podcast. Well, put short, electricity uh, and the electric grid, this is our most important energy network. It is what I call the mother network. It's the network upon which all of our other critical societal systems depend. Hospitals, water, wastewater, communications, you name it. We depend on the electric grid to keep our society functioning. And if the grid fails, we are in a world of hurt. So that's why I made this along with my colleague Tyson Culver. He directed our new docu-series. It's called Juice, Power, Politics, and the Grid. It's five episodes. It's available for free. I did say free. Yes, free. You heard me right. Free on YouTube. The easiest way to find it is juicetheseries.com. And you mentioned Industrial Cathedrals. That is the last episode of our five-episode series. They all came out January 31st, and I think it's terrific. Of course, I'm biased, but you know we worked on this project for more than four years and uh, so happy to have it out and so happy to be talking about it because there is no important power system, energy system in our society than the grid and policymakers are ignoring it. They don't understand what the risk is. You know, that's amazing. I was just talking to my wife the other night. Before I go to bed at night, I have this series I have to go through. I have to charge my iWatch. I have to charge my iPhone. I have to charge my iPads. I have to charge my laptops. So we live in this technological world. And I think in your latest series, you were talking about the fact that demand for electricity is doubling every couple decades. So people think about the cloud. They think about AI. They're unaware of the enormous amount of power that AI in the cloud requires. Because like you can pick up your iPhone. It doesn't look like it takes much to charge this thing, but it's what your iPhone does. It's the internet, the texting, and all of that. I want to talk in industrial cathedrals, you're talking about bringing back vision, nuclear power is one of the most sensible things because, Robert, we're seeing blackouts, brownouts. They're becoming more prolific. And this is now, I guess, the California disease is spreading to the rest of the country because it's not just California anymore. 
Exactly right. And to be clear, you mentioned the power demand doubling. Yes, that's those are global numbers, right? So globally, power electricity consumption is doubling about every 20, 25 years. And of course, the need in the developing world is just staggeringly large. You know, we're talking about 3 billion people in the world today who use on average less electricity than what's consumed by an average kitchen refrigerator in the United States. So we do talk some about the global challenge in our new docuseries, Juice Power Politics and the Grid. But more specifically, you live in California. And you're right. Well, in these policies that have been pushed by the climate focused policies, and they started really in earnest under Governor Schwarzenegger in 2008. Well, since 2008, when Schwarzenegger signed an executive order mandating that utilities in California get a third of their electricity from renewables, it's now going to be 100% by 2045. Power prices in California have grown three times faster than rates in the rest of the U.S. So we're seeing a very clear result from this headlong rush toward weather dependent sources of electricity generation and power prices and uh, reliability. And it's been ruinous. And I'll stop with this headline, which is just in on January 30th in Politico. Here's the headline, Jim. Wait for it. Electricity prices. This is about California. Electricity prices are shocking the lawmakers who voted for them. And it says, here's the lead. California lawmakers are getting burned by the very utility bills they voted to increase for their wealthy constituents. So it's like, oh, gee, guess what? Your policy is terrible, and now it's going to cost your, all of your voters. So, gee, they would have thought this. You know what I don't understand? You know, I, at first I thought, is this just a political agenda? I don't think, just as you quoted that headline, that many of these people understand. So in my own state, by 2035, you can't buy a gasoline engine. You're not going to have a gas lawnmower weed blower. And yet we are going to be shutting down Diablo Canyon in 2030, our last nuclear plant. We already shut down San Onofre. We're putting more demands on the grid with AI, with the cloud, with EVs. And yet we're reducing reliable sources of power, whether it is coal, whether it's nuclear. I think at one time, I think I wrote this in an article, we had 112 nuclear power plants. And I think, Robert, we're down to 92 right now. China's building more. India's building more, and yet we are reducing ours. Do you see at least some awakening? You mentioned Meredith Agwin warning regulators that we're going to have a problem here. Are you seeing a turn? I know in Europe, they're starting to rebel. I mean, take a look what's happened to Germany. Well, I think there is some, you know, sobriety is spreading, but very slowly, Jim, let me be clear, very slowly. But we are seeing, and Meredith Angwin has written a great book called Shorting the Grid, and she self-published it and has now become one of the most notable experts on the electric grid in the United States. So she's in our new docuseries, as is Emmett Penny, the editor of Grid Brief, Chris Kiefer, a pro-nuclear activist from Canada, and 30 other people. I mean, we went all over the world to interview people, in, including in Japan, and Japan is going back to nuclear. But it is very clear when you listen to what the policy, when the regulators are saying, and the people who are watching the grid most closely, including the regional transmission organizations, they are warning repeatedly, repeatedly about the dangers that we are facing with reliability on the grid. One example, last May, the FERC commissioners, commissioners from the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, spoke to the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee, and nearly every one of them said, we are facing a reliability crisis 
And those are their words, not mine. The North American Electric Reliability Corporation in August issued a report that's pointed to policy as one of the biggest challenges for reliability on the U.S. grid. Other regional transmission organizations like PJM and MISO are saying repeatedly, we're closing too many thermal power plants and replacing them with power plants that are dependent on the weather. And this is, I think, you know, the simplest way to think about this, Jim, is that let's assume that the climate activists are right and that we're facing a, a more extreme weather from hotter, colder, more extreme, longer duration temperatures, then it's insane to make our most important energy network dependent on the weather. We need rather resilient systems, not weather dependent ones. And yet that is where all the incentives are now in America to build more weather dependent regeneration. This is just bad policy and we will have bad outcomes because of these bad policies. Well, we've already seen it in the EV market. I think it's Ford's pulling out of certain EVs. They're losing money. They're stacking up on parking lots. Uh, Last week during the winter storms, we saw a bunch of Teslas. I don't know if it was, I forget what city it was. In Chicago. Imagine, imagine, Jim, they that EVs don't work as well in cold weather. Who would have ever thought this? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, Robert, you almost get the feeling it's almost becoming like religion. Okay, we're going to pass this legislation because this is what we want as an outcome. And they were shocked at the price of utilities and the laws they pass. So when you put these mandates out there, they don't think of the consequence of these mandates in the long run, what it's going to cause and disrupt. Well, and I think it's partly because these policymakers, I mean, and you know, it's kind of a joke. Why? Are, so almost all of our policymakers are lawyers. Well, why are they lawyers? Because they couldn't do the have to get into engineering school. So now we have policy on our most important power systems, our most important energy and power systems are being made by lawyers, not engineers. They're politicians. And, oh, well, let's just do what sounds good. Let's just make it all renewable because, you know, the voters like the idea of renewables. And so we'll just, because they like the idea, well, we'll just do that. Well, it's terrible policy. But remember, we're facing these challenges on the bad policy at the state, local, and federal levels. For instance, Berkeley, California, in your home state there, passed to ban on natural gas use, direct use of natural gas. That's bad policy. And by by the way, it's been ruled illegal by the Ninth Circuit. But, you know, you have the state then passing these rules, uh, mandating 100% renewables or 100% quote, clean electricity by 2045. And then you have at the federal level, the Inflation Reduction Act that is effectively a run on the treasury in the name of climate change that is going to give hundreds of billions of dollars to anyone who builds wind and solar, regardless of where they build it. So, you know, to quote Charlie Munger, show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome. And the incentives, the financial incentives, the political incentives are all in the wrong direction, Jim. So why did I make this docuseries? Why did I, my colleague Tyson Culver and I, why did we work on this for four years? Well, part of it was we got blacked out here in Austin three years ago during Winter Storm Uri. And I thought, well, if this can happen in Texas, the energy capital of the world, then we're in real trouble. But what is our goal that we're giving it away? We're not trying to make a bunch of money. We need to change the conversation, Jim. We are facing a reliability crisis on our electric grid and an affordability crisis. And we need to focus on this system that we depend on, but don't pay much attention to. So that's my motivation here trying to make people understand what is at stake. And we ignore our most important energy system at our extreme peril. You know, that really surprised me when that happened in Austin, because when we think of energy, I think of fracking, I think of shale. I mean, what is it? Texas produces almost 60 percent of the U.S. output in oil. So when you think of energy, you wouldn't think of something like that happening in Texas, but it did. But Texas has moved to renewables and we saw what happened just as we're seeing it happen in Illinois. We're seeing it happen in New York. And what's amazing, and this is, you know, it's almost like a blindness, Robert, when you see these blindness blackouts 
occur across the country. You have to wonder what's in the minds of these governors that are seeing this happen, and yet they're shutting down plants. They're trying to put out, uh, you know, they're backing, the Biden administration is backing off a little bit on getting rid of natural gas stovetops. I mean, so, you know, maybe there's a little bit of relief there. But when you see these things happening, and yet they keep pursuing the same policies. Well, I think there is some just but only some a very little sobriety creeping into the Biden administration, but it's only a little and they continue. In fact, there was a press release that was put out just last fall by the Department of the Interior saying that President Biden is going to deliver on his promise to have a carbon free electricity grid in the United States by 2035. Well, that's just not going to happen. I mean, it's just the worst kind of political spin and frankly, propaganda. And we have to be very careful here. And I'm not saying, you know, how do I view the climate issue? It's very simple. Climate change is a concern. It's not our only concern. We have to approach the issue of climate and how we react to it, what we do to our most important energy and power networks with great sobriety. And we're not doing that. Instead, it's this kind of drunken approach that has no coherence. And ultimately, the key is that when it comes to reliability, and this is a point that Meredith Angwin makes on the docuseries, Emmett Penny makes in the docuseries, no one is responsible for reliability. Well, that's a terrible outcome. We need to be thinking about how we make our systems, in particular the electric grid, more reliable and right with that, more affordable and more resilient. And we're doing, we're going the opposite direction. Well, you brought up a point earlier, and we've seen this in my own state and elsewhere, where there is no reason behind where you build the wind turbines, where you build the solar panels. Hopefully you build them close to where they're needed, but that's not necessarily going to happen because where they're needed, people don't want them. And you've documented over and over again, the number of communities that have turned down wind projects, that have turned down solar projects. And Robert, it's not just that. I mean, you take the size of a nuclear power plant plant and compare that to a wind farm or a solar farm. I mean, the magnitude of land space needed to do this is astronomical. It's ridiculous. And this is one of the things that, you know, you're right. In the Renewable Rejection Database, which I've now been keeping and maintaining for about 10 years now, over 613 rejections or restrictions of wind or solar in the United States since 2015. The latest one being a township in uh, Pennsylvania just in the last couple of days. But one of the episodes I mentioned in our docuseries, Juice Power Politics and the Grid, and I'm you know really thrilled that you had me on to talk about it. If you're listening, you can go to juicetheseries.com. There are links to all of the episodes there. They're free. There's a bunch of other content on our website, juicetheseries.com. But the episode of which I'm most proud is episode three. And in that, it's called Green Dreams is the title of that episode. It's about 20 minutes, as are the other four episodes. And we document what's happened in Osage County, Oklahoma. Now, I have deep roots in Oklahoma, both on my mother's side and my father's side. My great uncle, Ernie Rapp, was a member of the Osage tribe. In fact, he was born in Fairfax, Oklahoma in 1909. So he had a front row seat to the reign of terror during the 1920s, which is the focus of the Killers of the Flower Moon, Scorsese's new film uh, that's been nominated for 10 Academy Awards, by the way. And in episode three, we interview five different members of the Osage tribe, document what happened there, their fight against a wind project. So this is very reminiscent of what happened when Killers of the Flower Moon a 100 years ago. Enel, this Italian company, came into Osage County, Oklahoma. They effectively violated the sovereignty of the Osage tribe by mining rock on the Osage tribe's mineral estate without the tribe's approval. And just in December, a federal court judge in Tulsa ordered the removal of all 84 wind turbines that Enel built in Osage County in violation of the tribe's sovereignty. And it's just a landmark ruling. And that, of course, happened after we wrapped the film 
but we mentioned it at the end. But episode three, you know, of these five episodes is the one of which I'm most proud because it tells a story that's just an amazing story, but also goes to the heart of what you're talking about. These massive land use conflicts that are happening all across the country. And they're about sovereignty. They're they're about property rights. They're about view sheds. But here's a Native American tribe that fought back and they kicked Anel's ass. It makes me smile every time I think about it. Robert, why do you think environmentalists are against nuclear power? I mean, the smart ones aren't. Guys like Michael Schellenberger, who is pro-nuclear, as far as I know, nobody has ever lost a life to nuclear power in the United States. You know, we think of Chernobyl, and then we also think of what happened to Fukushima. So you get an incident that happens like that, and then all of a sudden, everybody wants to get rid of their nuclear power plants. So first, let me preface this by saying, I think that there is a shift underway, and it's one about that is happening in, and it's a generational shift, right? So I'm an old guy, right? I'm 63. I'll be 64 in July. You know, when I was a kid, the worry was about nuclear war, right? And so we had bomb shelters and we had radiation signs and, and places, you know, gathering stations and the rest of it. Well, the generations that are coming up now, the 20-somethings, 30-somethings, their concern is climate change. So they have a different view on nuclear power than my generation did. And so it's one of the great parts about the docuseries. We feature Maddie Hilly, who's the uh, head of the campaign for a green nuclear deal. She's an effervescent personality and just beautiful on camera and, you know, talks about nuclear power and why we need to be embracing it. Similarly with Chris Kiefer, who's fully 20 years younger than I am, Emmett Penny, uh, Paris Ortiz Wines, other people, Isabel Bomicki, younger people. In fact, on my podcast, uh, Grace Stanky, Miss America of 2023, she's a nuclear engineer. And so we see this change that is happening among, in the young generation that is pro-nuclear, and it's out of, born out of their concern about climate, which is great. So we are seeing progress, but let me also be clear that we face incredible friction from the anti-industry industry, the Sierra Club, Natural Resources Defense Council, Beyond Carbon, Climate Imperative, League of Conservation Voters. These outfits, Jim, have hundreds of budgets in total together hundreds of millions of dollars. And so they made their money and they're making continuing to campaign against nuclear energy. So let's be clear about the challenge that we face. It is not going to be cheap, quick or easy. And we make that point in the docuseries, but we have to start and we have to get started now. And I think that in fact, likely Canada and Europe are going to lead the nuclear renaissance before the US. That's my view for several reasons. But I think the rhetoric, the sentiment is changing. It's changing slowly and it's going to require sustained effort. But I think things are changing in a very positive way. Well, I know this is one of our long-term themes for this decade is the grid and power, because as I mentioned earlier, all the devices that we have today, we are more dependent on the grid. We are using more electricity than we ever had. As you mentioned, every two decades globally, the demand for electricity increases. Another point that you make in your documentary which I, it really hit me. I never thought of it in this way. You want to define poverty in the world, you define it by electricity. And uh, for example, in India, we think of India now as emerging an economy, but there are literally hundreds of millions of people in India that do not have access to electricity or Africa. Well, and these are the big challenges of our day. Now, India has made great progress. I don't, you know, they claim in some cases that they have, you know, they've electrified almost everyone. But remember, the difference between having a few watt hours and having kilowatt hours is enormous. And so different studies have been done that show you need at least 4,000 kilowatt hours per capita per year to have what would be considered a modern standard of living. So the global challenge is enormous. And I've written about this extensively in my books. And, and in our first documentary, we talked about that. But this docu-series, and we decided 
decided to make it five parts, each about 20 minutes each, because we wanted to make it more accessible. We wanted to make it easier for people to watch it. And so, like I said, I'm very proud of it, but we really are focusing on the weakening of the grid in the West and what is happening. And you're right, we're becoming more and more dependent on the electric grid. We're using more electric heat, you know, this idea, these ideas around electric vehicles, the electrifying everything, all of this pressure being put on the build out of the electric grid. But at the same time, we're making it less reliable, less affordable and less resilient. And something has to give. But, you know, people listening, remember anything. My, my goal is we have to be very sober about our approach to the electric grid. We have to be very clear eyed about what is happening and how quickly we can expand it and how we need to make sure that we're making the grid more resilient, more reliable instead of the other way around. And unfortunately, as you mentioned at the top of the show, we've seen blackouts and unexpected blackouts increase 13 fold since 2000. My, here, I live in Austin and just in the last four months, we've had two extended blackouts of six or seven hours or more. And I, you know, I live in the center of town, you know, with the reliability is just declining and I'm about ready to buy a standby generator. Well, I watched the financial channels in the morning and one of the uh, advertisers is Genrac. And they're bringing up the very same thing that you are talking about. I mean, I got to the point in California, we designed this house, we put in solar panels, I drive an EV, I have my own charging station in my garage because we're basically shutting down energy in the state. Big article, the oil companies are pulling out of the state, we're shutting down oil production in the state. So where are we going to get it? We're going to have to get it from Saudi Arabia. How reliable is that? So, I mean, it's just absolutely absurd. Now, when you talk about all five series, the thing that I like that you did, you did them in 20 minute segments. So you don't have to sit and you know give up an afternoon. You can watch these one a day. But folks, I really urge you to do this because this is one of the most critical areas for investing. If you're an investor, take a look at this because this problem isn't going away. Every time we have a weather storm, you saw it last week in Chicago. I think, uh, Robert, they tried to, one of the news channels sent a guy in an EV and he tried to go across the country. I think it was from Chicago or someplace to New York. And <laughs> he got to a hotel and I think he had three miles left on his EV. And when he woke up in the morning, he forgot the battery drains at night too. So he was down to one mile trying to get to a charging station. I mean, this is some of the things that are becoming a reality for a lot of people. You know, it is remarkable and, you know, this kind of delusion around electric vehicles. But to go back to your point, you know, Jim, I'm, we haven't met in person. We've talked many times and you've been kind to have me on your podcast, but you mentioned you have a standby generator. Well, of course you do. And you have solar panels. Well, of course you do. But the average income, I just, I follow Generac. In fact, I was just the other day looking at their investor presentations. The average household income for a Generac buyer is $145,000. That's twice the national average. And the same with electric vehicle owners. They tend to be people like you. And I'm not picking on you here, but you know, older white males, right? That's who generally buys electric vehicles. And the same with solar panels. So the other key part of this, that the part that I really care about is that this, what this energy policy that is being promulgated and the bad energy policy that's being put in place, it's very much about class and it's regressive on the poor and the middle class. People who don't own their homes don't have houses with solar panels. They can't afford them. Why would they put solar panels on homes that they're renting? So there's very much a class issue at work here. And it's one that is being ignored, but it is particularly important in California where your electric rates are soaring. And you remember California as a state has the highest poverty rate of any state in America. The highest poverty rate in America is in California. And yet the state is continuing to pass these terribly regressive energy policies that are costing their consumers at the pump and with their electric bill. 
You know, I did my solar. I've just gone through so many blackouts, brownouts in California. Robert, as we close, I want you to give out your website. Let's start with, you have two, your Robert Bryce website, but I want to give out, it's Juice the Series, juicetheseries.com, and our listeners can watch all five of these documentaries that you've done. They are excellent, and you can't walk away after watching these and think about, we've got to do something here. Well, thank you, Jim. I appreciate that. I, you know, my colleague Tyson Culver put it all together. He directed the project and just did a fantastic job. Just really remarkable. We have original animations or original score. I can't compliment him highly enough. He just did a great job. But yes, juicetheseries.com for the new docuseries, Juice Power Politics in the Grid. I'm easy to find on the Google. I'm on TikTok. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, and uh, Substack is where I'm doing most of my writing now. Robertbryce.substack.com. Robertbryce.substack.com. And if you have the chance, read Robert's book, A Question of Power, Electricity, and the Wealth of Nations. That was really an eye-opener. You know, we hear talk from politicians about poverty, but I never looked at poverty in terms of electricity. That really defines it. So, Robert, thank you for the work that you're doing and getting this information out there in a way that people can see and understand. Great work, my friend. Thanks a million, Jim. You betcha. Bye-bye. You know, as we conclude here, I really want to urge you to go watch these five documentary films. They're very, very well done. And it's going to alert you to a theme that we see playing out this decade. And I like when it comes to investing to look longer term. And this is one of the themes that we're pursuing. We're looking at nuclear. We're looking at the grid. We're looking at utilities as long-term investments. Because this technological society that we live in, when you get up in the morning, think of what happens. Your alarm clock works. You turn on the lights. Your heating and air conditioning is working. Your coffee maker works. Your refrigerator works. Your iPad, your iWatch, your iPhone. Think of all these electronic devices that you use on a day-to-day basis. But what you're not really seeing, these devices are dependent on huge, massive, and I mean massive data centers that house the cloud, that are going to house AI, and you can't do any of this without electricity. So here's a long-term theme you can look at and invest in And I just look at everything that's happening. I just see nothing but opportunity here. So do yourself a favor. Go to Juice the Series. Juice the Series, like orange juice. Juicetheseries.com. There's five episodes there, and it's going to be very enlightening. Financial Sense News Hour is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a solicitation or offer to purchase or sell any securities. The investments, investment strategies, and investment philosophies discussed or presented on the News Hour each involve their own unique risk factors, which are not discussed on the show. Responses to listener inquiries are based on the personal opinions of the Financial Sense staff and do not take into account listener suitability, objectives, or risk tolerance. Financial Sense News Hour and its parent company shall not be liable for any financial losses that result from investing in any company mentioned in financial sense or arising out of the use of any material on the news hour be advised that you invest at your own risk